0: Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, it says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for forty days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you, and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Now, this passage that we're going to be looking over and that we just read is a very vital passage for you and I. And you may not think so, but this was of super importance to all of us as Christians, as born-again believers. It's so vital. There's two things that I want to set up before we even jump into this text. Two things that I think we're going to look at, that we're going to, we're going to dive into as we study these 13 verses. And the first thing that we need to see is that this text, that this passage, that these temptations are all about Jesus. Okay? Please understand that. When it comes to the word of God, it's always about Jesus. But specifically here, we see this is about Jesus. These temptations specifically are for Jesus, the son of God. And as Satan's going to say, he says, if you are the son of God, and that word if really means since. Satan was not questioning you know, his deity. Satan knew he was the son of God. right? The demons tell, It tells us in James that the demons even know who the son of God is. Right? So he wasn't questioning and challenging Jesus, well, if you're the Son of God. No, he says, since you're the Son of God. So this challenge, these temptations, are specifically for the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Right? He's going to tempt him to change stone into bread. Is, he, is Satan going to tempt me to do that? No, why not? Because I can't do that. Right? <laughs> I can't change stone into bread, and if I did, I'd be super rich. Right, <laughs> I cannot do that. He's not gonna tempt me to jump from the pinnacle of the temple because I'm scared of heights, right? Like that is not something that is enticing. And, and what really we're gonna see in this third temptation where he's supposed to jump from it is that Jesus was to perform a miracle, the angels were supposed to protect him, right? I don't have that faith, I, I'm, not, I'm not there. I don't, I'm not the son of God. So these are specifically for Jesus Christ and it's a very uh, unique temptation as well because it is uh, for Christ. It is against Christ. It's not against me. Now we are going to find similarities as we look through this and how we are to combat temptation in general uh, when it comes to to us fighting that. Another thing that makes it unique is that it's actually Satan himself who is tempting Jesus. And please bear in mind that Satan is more than likely not tempting you. He's using your flesh, your desires, as James is going to tell us as we're going to read. Satan is not um, uh, omnipresent he is not omniscient he is not he's not all power he, he cannot be in all places at one time so he cannot tempt everyone at the same uh, you know what I mean like he can't do that okay but obviously he's got workers and he's got the sin nature in us that, that brings about that, de- the, that desire so it's very specific and very unique here as we're gonna see again that Satan is tempting Jesus And as we see, he's gonna be in the wilderness, and what Satan is trying to do, his goal, is to make Jesus to stumble, right? And like I said when I started out, this is a very vital and important passage for us. Why? Because if Jesus stumbles, if he gives in to the temptation, then we all lose, right? I mean, more specifically, Jesus loses, right? There is no victory. There is no perfect sacrifice to be made upon the cross for you and I and our sin. Without the perfect sacrifice for sin, there is no remission of sin. With no remission of sin, there is no salvation. And that's why we should be rooting for Jesus in this passage. Now, we don't have to. We already know he's victorious, right? Right? But imagine you're there on the sidelines watching. We are rooting for Jesus to overcome these temptations. And these temptations are not simple and easy temptations to overcome. And in reality, all temptations are not simple and easy, right? And we're gonna talk about that a little bit later on. So that's the first thing that we're gonna look at is that this passage is gonna prove and confirm that Jesus Christ is the true, righteous, and perfect Son of God. And this happens even before he even starts his ministry. The second thing that we're going to see is that it's going to teach us to follow Jesus in overcoming temptation by being obedient to the Father. You know what's crazy? All of us are in the same boat. We, have, we are all tempted multiple times a day because Satan wants us to stumble. But we have the ability to overcome it through Jesus Christ. It blows my mind that, and I think about the times that I have been tempted. I have had opportunities to overcome it. I have opportunities to to succumb to it, right? Every single time, I have that opportunity. Jesus has paved the way for me, and he's given me everything I need to overcome temptation, yet sometimes I feel like I'm not, like I'm not overcoming it. And you may be sitting in this seat, and you're like, well, I don't have the power to overcome that. Like I've been trying day in, day out, week, years. It's been decades of me trying to overcome this and I haven't been able to overcome it. And I will tell you, you alone will not be able to overcome it. You going through a 12-step program will not be able to overcome it. You trying your hardest will not be able to overcome it. You trying to set up accountability partners will not be able to overcome it. It's only through Jesus Christ and the example that he's going to give us of how he overcomes temptation here. And we'll get to that example in a little bit. What is also revealed to us is as we're studying this passage, the temptation that Satan throws at Jesus is that we learn a lot about our adversary and how he does it and what he does. And one thing that I want to point out is that Satan does have power, right? That power is limited and it is given by God himself. So Satan, because it's limited and because he's nothing in comparison to God, because 1 John tells us that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, right? So when you have Jesus on your side, you can always overcome temptation, but it's through the power of Christ. Now, because Satan knows he has literal no power against Jesus, we're going to see this. Like, if Satan had power, bear in mind, if Satan had power, he would be able to push Jesus off the pinnacle of the temple, but he doesn't. What does he do? He suggests it, right? And that's how he attacks. He doesn't try to to overpower us because he can't, but he can deceive us, right? He's the father of lies. He, he can trick us, right? Those are the, the schemes and the wiles that Satan has. He's very de- deceptive and cunning, and we see that even here as he's tempting Jesus, and we have to be aware of that. Like, we can't be ignorant to it. Like, we have to be aware that Satan is real and that our battle is a spiritual battle, right? We just finished Ephesians, I believe, before we jumped into Revelation, and Ephesians warn us, warns us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, right? A lot of times that we feel like our battle is against each other. It's against my spouse or my children or my boss or, you know, the government or whatever it may be, but really our battle is a spiritual battle. And Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 2 11 reminds us that we, it says, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Listen, you're in church this morning. If this is the first time you've heard this, you are not allowed to be ignorant anymore, right? You need to know that Satan will attack. He will use your flesh and the world against you. He doesn't want you to succeed. He doesn't want Jesus to succeed. And if Jesus succeeds and Satan loses and he knows that, So we're going to learn how to successfully resist Satan's temptations and attacks. Now, what is temptation? It's a good question. I'm glad you guys asked. (laughs) There's two, two different senses of the word that I want to look at, two different ways that we're going to see it even upon this passage, even in our own lives, is the first one is temptation is a solicitation to sin, to do that what is contrary to the will and the word of God. Temptation is an attempt to cause a person to sin. And Satan's efforts at temptation always fall into this specific category. He wants you to sin. There's, there's no other thing that he wants. To tempt you is to cause you to sin. Now, temptation in and it of itself is not sin. It's falling into temptation. It's what you do after that. The second point of view that we see, the, the second different way that we see temptation is when it's viewed from God's point of view, it is a test, okay? And it's a test not to fail, it's a test and an opportunity for you and I to prove ourselves as righteous and faithful, to grow us. From the vantage point of Satan's intended purpose, Jesus was tempted to sin, prompting the Son of God to act in disobedience to the Father. Which again, if he acted in disobedience, he would have sinned, he wouldn't have Gone and done the will of God, which mean, means that you and I, there's nothing for us. There's no promises. There's no substitute of sin. In James chapter 1, verse 3, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And the Greek word translated uh, trials here in the verb form, means to put someone or something to the test with the purpose of discovering that person's nature or that thing's quality. And God brings such tests to prove and increase the strength and quality of one's faith to demonstrate its validity. There's a quote, and I don't know who, who said it, so hopefully they get credit for it somewhere. It says, now God will test you and God will prove you, but God will never induce you to do evil. God gives us tests to make us stand, and Satan gives us temptations to make us stumble. It's twofold here. And James even reminds us that we're to count it all joy, right? Like, Jesus is the complete opposite of the world. The complete opposite. Everything he does is is just completely opposite of what the world does and thinks. And he says, count it all joy when when you fall into these trials, when you fall into these tests, count it joy. Why? Because your faith produces patience, right? Your character grows, your faith grows, your trust in Jesus grows. Franklin D. Roosevelt, which you probably didn't think I'd quote him this morning, he said, a smooth sea never made a skilled sailor, right? A smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. There's times where we're gonna have to walk out our faith, like it's gonna be tested, you will be tested by God to prove your faith. And God doesn't do it so that you fail. He knows, and, and 1 John, listen, 1 John tells us that, he says, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. I know it sounds like completely out there that you don't have to sin, but you don't have to sin. Like God has given you everything you need to abstain from it, right? And we're gonna see that here in, 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 uh, in this passage. That Jesus, as he fights this battle, as he fights this battle, what's very interesting is that Jesus fights this as a man. He fights it as a man. Why does he do that? To give us an example. That we, as men and women, can overcome temptation. Jesus is not fighting this as the Son of God because we can't relate to that. If Jesus fought as the Son of God and Satan came to tempt him, what could Jesus do? Just slap him into another universe, right? Like... (laughs) He, he could do whatever he want, but as we're going to see, Jesus says, it is written. It's what you and I can do. It's not anything, you don't have to have a, a PhD, you don't have to go to seminary school, you don't have to do this, you don't have to do that. You just have to know the Word of God, which is Jesus. James 1, 12 through 15 goes on to say, blessed, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Temptation to do evil does not originate or come from God, but I do believe that God does allow it. God allows it, again, to test us and to grow us. And more importantly than him allowing it is that he has equipped us. He has given us everything we need to overcome it. Because he knows, he went through it, and he did it victoriously. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Now, this verse I know is 100% true because I've seen it in my life. Every time I have been tempted, I've always had a way out, always. I can say that in in my life, I'm not gonna say you, but I think it's true. God has always given me a way out. I have never been forced into falling into temptation. I have never, without my own will, I have decided To do what I want to do. I have that free will, and I have that way to escape, but more often than not, I don't take that route, but we should. We need to, and God provides us the way and the victory. It's in those times when temptation comes that, you know, your, your brother in Christ or sister in Christ calls you for, like, the first time in, like, five months, right? Randomly calls you, and he's like, hey, man, what you about to do? You know, I don't know what he says, but you know what I mean? Like, like, There's always a way, right? There's always a way. And God has not only given us everything we need to overcome it, but he also understands it and can relate to it. And because of that, he knows what what is exactly needed to overcome it. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. I mean, how awesome is that? What other—now bear in mind, there are no other gods—but what other God can say that? None. Jesus became one of us, lived like one of us, but he did it perfectly. And thankfully, he did it perfectly, not only to set an example before us, but to be that perfect sacrifice for our sin. Otherwise, there's no salvation for me. And while Satan's temptation of Jesus— is similar to his attack against christians you have to remember that this situation that this temptation is very unique because again it is directed towards the son of god right again satan will say if you are the son of god he says it i think two or three times if you are the son of god again satan does not tempt me to turn stone into bread and i would change it to like steak anyways you know like if i'm going to turn something into something it's not going to be bread But again, it's specifically to the Son of God. Again, he's not challenging him that if he is the Son of God, but rather he wants the Son of God to stumble. And we see this preceding this text, and we see it preceding, uh, or, or just even from the beginning of the Bible, that Satan has been trying to stop. He's trying to dethrone God, and he's been trying to stop the Messiah from coming whether that's that's satan tainting the line or the lineage right whether that's that's bringing curses upon the family whether that's you know uh herod herod was the one that that killed that was trying to kill jesus right when he was a baby right satan has been trying over we see it here he's gonna try and kill jesus right he wants him to die because if jesus can die or if jesus jesus can stumble then satan wins And before we even get into chapter four, a little bit in chapter three, we see that Luke is actually gonna point out two things. He's gonna point out Jesus' deity and he's gonna point out Jesus' humanity. In Luke chapter three, verse 22, when John baptizes Jesus, it said in verse 22, the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him and a voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. I don't know what's more obvious than God speaking that, to show us that Jesus is the Son of God, right? God is speaking, you are my beloved Son, and you who I am well pleased. And he is instantly filled with the Holy Spirit. And then right after that, at the be- end of Genesis th- or uh, Luke chapter 3, we get the genealogy of Jesus, showing us that he is not only the Son of God, but he is also the Son of Man. So at this point we see and don't try to ask me or have me explain it to you but God is a, or Jesus is 100% God and Jesus is 100% man. And as he fights this battle, bear in mind he's fighting it a 100% man. So let's read verse 1. It says then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. It's interesting. Here's Jesus. He just had this awesome, you know, I don't know, victory in his life, or a good thing happening. Like, he just got baptized, and now he's filled with the Spirit, and you know, the Spirit is leading him, so he's following, and where does the Spirit lead him? Into the wilderness, for 40 days, to be tempted, right? It's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that is leading him. And just because you are filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you won't struggle with temptation. You will. But because we have the Holy Spirit, we are able to overcome temptation. Jesus here was filled with the Holy Spirit, and He led Him into the wilderness. And this setting here of the wilderness gives us an example and a a correlation with Israel. Right here, Jesus is in the wilderness, literally like a a desert, and He's there for how long? 40 days. And Israel in the Old Testament wandered in the wilderness for how long? 40 years. There's a huge correlation that we're going to see That that Jesus is the opposite of Israel. Everything that Israel did wrong, Jesus does right. Right? There's an example you see here, and even when Jesus rebuttals and rebukes Satan, he quotes scripture, and the scripture that he quotes is actually from Deuteronomy, and every, every scripture is based upon Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness, when they were hungry, when they were tired, when they were questioning God, and in that time, and in both cases, God is testing man. And in verse 2, it says, being tempted for 40 days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. So bear in mind, in this passage, we see three temptations, but all three come at the end of the 40 days. And in verse 2, it shows us that he was tempted throughout the duration of being in the wilderness. Could you imagine? being alone. Like, that's when Satan's gonna attack when you're alone. And specifically with these three temptations, he attacks when Jesus is at his physical weakest, right? It says that in verse 2 that uh, he was, uh, that when they had ended, he was hungry. Jesus was fasting for those 40 days, right? Like, imagine this. Like, we get hungry, like, we're, we're starving right now, right? <laughs> like, some of us are planning our, our where we're going for lunch, Imagine that, right? Like, like Satan did not, you know, tempt Jesus with food after the first day. It was on the 40th day, right? At the point where they say that you're hungry to begin with, and then after a certain amount of time, you're not hungry anymore. But once that hunger comes back, typically around the 40th day, is when you're on the verge of death. So you know that, that Jesus is not only hungry, but he's dying. He's on the verge of death. And the thing that Satan tempts him with is food. And, and, and in reality, as we look at it, it doesn't seem that bad. He's just saying, turn that stone into bread. Like, where's the evil in that? Where's the sin in that? You ever thought of that? It's quick, do it. Fulfill your, your physical need, otherwise you're going to die, Jesus. So it's different here when we see Jesus doing this, Jesus overcoming this. He's in a state where he's about to die because of hunger. In the devil, in verse 3, he said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Satan will use a legitimate need to be— He will use a legitimate need to be filled in an illegitimate way. Satan will use a legitimate need to be filled in an illegitimate way. Was being hungry wrong? No. Some of the the things and the physical things that we have that we need are not wrong but oftentimes satan will will point us and suggest to us to to meet those needs in the wrong way in a sinful way a way that is disobedient to god and is obedient to satan and that's that's what we see here that's the evil here is that here satan is instigating he's suggesting to do this to use jesus's power to fulfill this, this selfish need and, and to disobey God, because it's God who led him here anyways, right? It's God who led him here, and he's trusting in God, and as he says in verse 4, Jesus answered and said to him, answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Was Jesus willing to obey the Father or Satan? That's, that's the real question here. That's what's happening. Satan's way was the quick fix to our physical need, undermining and disobeying the Father's will. And Jesus was willing to trust God to provide bread when he was ready. When he was ready. Again, Jesus says man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Our lives should not be revolved around our physical needs and our physical desires but rather, as Jesus says, our hunger, our desires should be for the Word of God. Because, why? Just as bread brings life to your physical body, it's the Word of God that brings life to your spiritual. And that's more important than your physical. God told Adam and Eve in Genesis that they would die if they ate of the fruit. But when they ate of the fruit, they continued to live physically after their disobedience, right? Like Adam lived super long. It was like 970 something years. That's a long time, guys. That's a lot of grandkids. (laughs) They didn't die immediately. He ended up dying years later, but there was more than just a physical death that happened. There was a separation from God. And my question to you from this first temptation is, are we more concerned with our physical life than we are our spiritual life what takes precedence in your life? What is the priority? And the question here that I'm also gonna ask you is, is your life on the level, and if you love animals, don't, don't get mad at me, is your life on the level of an animal where they just live to meet the physical? Or does it go beyond that? Is your life going to be about constantly being led by your physical needs and desires? right? Because an animal to live, all they really need is just food and water and to survive and not get killed and eaten, right? That's essentially it, but is that really a life? No, it's not, but that's how some of us live. Our desire is to to get this and get that and just to be alive, but we're not really alive. Jesus says, if you want to, Jesus first of all said, I came to bring life and life more abundantly. That abundant life was not more food or better food or better this or better that, the life was in Christ, who is the bread of life. Or will you learn to let God's word be the thing that guides you and the choices that you make? It's a question for all of us. And Jesus, as he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God, he is actually quoting, again, Deuteronomy, which is interesting. Here Jesus is, he's quoting Deuteronomy, and I'm thinking as I'm studying this, why not like, A better book. (laughs) Why not Proverbs, right, or Psalms, or I don't know, but Deuteronomy. But again, we see the correlation here with Israel, and we see that the Word of God, no matter where it is, if it's used rightly, it's powerful. And Jesus uses the Word of God, but he uses it in the right context, in the right way. He applies the right Scripture, not just a Scripture, but the right Scripture. And here again, he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, In verses two through three, I'm going to read this. It says, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these forty years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man should not, shall not live by bread alone." but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. You are not truly living unless you are hungering and eating of the word of God. You might be alive physically, but that's about it. And all through the wilderness, God was testing Israel to find out if they were going to be faithful to keep his commandments, to keep his word. Even when God fed them manna, right, when he brought forth food for them, he said there was limitations, there was rules behind it. And if if you disobeyed, there's consequences. But if you obeyed, there was blessings. God was teaching the people that they needed more than just bread to exist. They needed to learn to follow God's direction in order to survive. So, the big question, how does Jesus combat this temptation? It's very simple. It's the title of the message. It is written. Jesus displayed his own dependence on God's word when he answers each temptation with Scripture. He says it is written, and then he quotes the scripture. It's his tool, it's his weapon, right? Ephesians warns us that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of this world, right? And so the sword, the offensive weapon that we are to combat them with, is the Word of God. It goes on to say, Paul tells us and, and tells us that we need to put on the armor of God, and the last thing that he tells us to be equipped with is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It is the only offensive weapon that we are given, And that's how we battle. That's how we fight. We see that with Jesus in Garden of Gethsemane, he's fighting the spiritual battle through prayer, through trusting and following the will of God. But then here's Peter who's sleeping, right, which most of us, that'd be the same state that we'd be in. Then he wakes up, and then the Roman guards come, and then he takes out his literal sword and cuts off the guy's ear. He was bringing, you know, a real sword to a spiritual battle, which you can't do. And so often we do that, and we we, we'll fail. What's interesting too as Jesus quotes scripture is I'm pretty positive that he didn't open up a scroll or open up his iPhone and choose the Bible app and then you know go to Deuteronomy 6 and be like yeah that's good right (laughs) so like like when you're tempted right the temptation is quick and it's when you're weak and it's in the middle of nowhere and it's probably when you don't have your Bible correct And you're not able to like, oh gosh, like Google, what's the good, what's a good verse to combat? No, no. the point is, guys, is that it's the word of God that was written upon his heart. Now, obviously, Jesus was the word, right? First John, or John 1 tells us that. But for us, we can have the word written and hidden on our heart, just as David told us in Psalm 119, verse 11. He says, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's important that we know the word of God. Just, just having the book is good, but just having it is not good enough. We need to know it, right? Because, I mean, we need to know truth because Satan's the father of lies. We live in a world where there's so much lies and there's a lack of truth, and what's interesting is we're gonna see Satan is that he's gonna, he's gonna, t- well, he's gonna tell Jesus, he's gonna quote scripture to Jesus, so it looks like truth, but it's not truth, right? Even a half-truth is a lie. And Satan will always mix in truth, right? Because that's how it's deceptive. If he threw out a flat, blatant lie, would be like, no, dude, that's like not, It's obvious, right? But it's the simple, it's the subtle things that, that Satan uses. Again, Jesus says, it is written. Jesus is combating this as a man, right? As a man. Scripture, and we know Scripture. We have Scripture. We're able to use this against Satan. By relying on the power and the truth of God's word, Jesus was willing to fight this battle as a man. Jesus used scripture to battle Satan's temptation, not some elaborate spiritual power inaccessible to us. Spurgeon said, outflash the sword of the spirit. Our Lord will fight with no other weapon. He could have spoken new revelations, but he chose to say, it is written. It is written. And we can effectively resist temptation in the same way Jesus did by countering Satan's lies, by shining the light of God's truth upon them. But if we are ignorant of God's truth, then we're poorly armed to fight the battle. You have to be armed. Listen, there's an analogy that I didn't get to say in first service, but I thought it was appropriate, is that we have been given the tool, we have been given the weapon, but you need to know how to use it. It's not just about having it because every single person in this room has a Bible, but it's knowing how to use it and how to use it correctly. It's like giving a person tools to build like a birdhouse. Everyone has the, the, the opportunity and the, the ability because they have the tools to do it, but do you know what tools used for what, right? Do you know how to get from nothing to something? The same thing with the Word of God. You have it, but you need to know how to use it correctly. You need how to know how to rightly divide the Word of God because you will be challenged. I mean, listen guys, we live in America, we, we live, our church on this street, there's like 10 churches just on Main Street, and you multiply that by 50 states, there's hundreds of thousands of churches, which means that there's hundreds of thousands, I'm throwing out a weird number, but you know what I'm saying, there's a lot of preachers, and not every teacher and preacher, or even just person or Christian, knows the Word of God correctly. And, and, and even though they may be preaching the word and teaching the word, they can be misapplying it, misinterpreting it, and that's why it's important not only for us to have the Bible but to know it, to know the, the correct context of it. Context is so vital and it is so key. That's why so many Americans misquote Philippians 4:13. They take it out of context. How many of you know Philippians 4:12? The first temptation of our Lord should instruct us that man has ultimately one need, and it's God. To know him and to have fellowship is to possess life in its fullest, even if the path of following him leads to physical death. Listen, our life starts with death, right? We die to ourselves. Jesus said, take up your cross, right? That's, that's what he tells us to do. But for Satan, life is just but mere physical existence. It's just to, to be alive, but what kind of life is that? In order to maintain that kind of life that Satan desires for us, is necessary to disobey the will of God, to act independent, independently and in rebellion against God. But Jesus' definition of life was life in its fullest, life in fellowship, harmony, and union with God. In order to maintain this kind of life, Jesus found it necessary to obey God even again, if that meant experiencing death. In verse five, it says, the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Now I don't know how that happened, what that looked like. Maybe the devil just explained what everything looked like. I don't know. And the devil said to him, "All this authority I will give you, and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish." Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Does Satan have the authority to even give what he is, like, giving to, to Jesus, what he is telling Jesus? Does he have that authority? Somewhat, yeah. I mean, Satan is the, the ruler of this world, right? He's the God of this world. I mean, we, if we're not serving God, then we're serving Satan. And the temptation here is that that satan is giving jesus an opportunity to have what jesus came for jesus came to set up his kingdom but jesus kingdom is not of this world right he came for you and i and so satan is saying look you can have this without having to go to the cross you can have the glory without the suffering but jesus knows that that's not true and that's why he combats him. He says, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Satan says, I will give you these things. He somewhat has that authority, but even that authority and what he has to begin with comes from who? God, right? God's like, dude, you can't re-gift that to me. It's, it's mine to begin with. But Satan offers it. What's interesting is that Satan typically offers us what he does not have, where Jesus then offers us who he is, what he does have. There's a big difference between those two. But Satan's offering this shortcut for Jesus, and all of us would jump on this chance to live a comfortable, convenient life. Nobody wants to, to go through the suffering for the glory. I want the, the convenience and then the glory. I want the comfortability And then the glory. But you cannot have glory without the suffering and thank Jesus that he did not fall into this temptation but he told Satan to get behind him and then again he says it is written you shall worship the Lord your God. Jesus knew what the first commandment was. Right? Where Israel failed Jesus succeeded. Israel had other gods. They wanted more. They wanted their own king. Right? The great example that we get of a shortcut is David. David was appointed the king But he wasn't the king because Israel wanted their own king, right? They wanted Saul because he was beautiful. He was handsome. He was tall, but he was a horrible king. And David had the opportunity to be king earlier than what God appointed because David had the opportunity to kill Saul. And for all of us, we'd have been rightfully so because the whole time Saul was trying to kill David. (laughs) But that was the shortcut. That was David taking things into his own hands and not following the will of God. And Jesus, knowing that he was not to take a shortcut for the glory, he was not to submit and to serve and to worship Satan, he was going to follow and obey God in his will. Now listen, if if Jesus had worshipped Satan, that means he would also have served him. That's why Jesus says that you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What you worship is what you serve. And vice versa, what you serve is what you worship. Who are you going to serve, Satan or God? And what if Jesus had taken that shortcut? Well, we probably wouldn't be in this room together. In verse 8, it says, Then he brought him to, or no, in verse 8, I'll read that again. He says, Get behind me, Satan. Jesus telling Satan to be gone. It's, it's in the same sense of James 4, 7, where James tells us, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, right? That's exactly what, what Jesus is, is doing here, saying, get behind me, Satan. There was a woman who was heading out the door to go shopping, and her husband told her, don't you buy any expensive dresses. You guys relate to this? Don't raise your hand. His wife said, but what if I find one I really like? And her husband replied, just say, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) And a couple hours later, the woman came home with a new, very expensive dress. Don't look at each other. Her husband was furious with her. What did I tell you? Well, the woman said, I saw this dress and I just wanted to try it on. I went in the dressing room, put it on and looked in the mirror. It was so beautiful and I really wanted to buy it. Then I remembered what you said. So I said, get behind me, Satan. Her husband was flabbergasted. Then why did you buy the dress? Well, said his wife, when I said, get behind me, Satan, he said, it looks good from behind too. (laughs) That was unnecessary, but funny. But again, in verse eight, the thing that Jesus combats these temptations with is the word of God, right? He says, it is written. For the second time, he does this. He counters Satan's deception with biblical truth, quoting Deuteronomy 6.13. And you and I need to do that. It goes on in verse 9, Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. (gasps) Satan's doing the same thing now. He says, for it is written. What is he quoting? Psalm 91. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. That's exactly what the verse says and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him it has been said. In the account in Matthew chapter 4 the same we see the same scene happening Jesus three times says it is written. But he says here it has been said you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Satan's quoting word for word Psalm 91. That's crazy. Like, I don't even have to expound on that. I think you guys understand. But he's quoting Psalm 91. Scripture can be misused to confuse and misdirect God's people. And just because someone is quoting the Bible doesn't make them right. Again, he was taking out of context. He was taking out of its original and true meaning. Satan attacks the pillar and the foundation of truth, which is Jesus. And Jesus being the word of God. When Eve was in the garden, remember the very first time that Satan ever tempted anybody? What did he start off saying? Did God really say? Right? Did God really say? He was attacking the word of God. Did God really say this? And what she responded with was incorrect. It wasn't really what God said. I wish that she would have quoted exactly what God said, but she didn't. She said that God told us if we touch this, we shall surely die. But God said, no, 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 if you eat of it, not if you touch it. So God will, or Satan will challenge you with the word of God. Do you know the word of God? Are you equipped? Again, it's more than just having your Bible. It's knowing it. And when you know it, you know Christ. And if you know Christ, you're gonna win every time because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The enemy feasts on believers who don't know the word of God, but at the same time, he's defeated by those who do know it. Listen, if you don't know the Word of God, you're not going to be prepared to stand in the spiritual battle. And that's what Paul tells us in Ephesians 6. He says, look, when this is all said and done, I just want you to stand. But Satan's going to attack. Don't be ignorant of his devices. So Satan takes him to the, the pinnacle of the, the temple, right? And again, this is not a temptation for me because I'm, I'm not, I'm like, I'm, I'm afraid of heights, so like this is not enticing at all for me. But what Satan is trying to do is he's trying to get Jesus to jump off and by quoting Psalm 91, he says, well, jump off and your angels will protect you. They'll catch you. They'll whatever, whatever it's gonna happen. But that's not what the chapter and the verses mean. The chapter is not for the Messiah, for the protection of the Messiah. The chapter is for you and I as Christians to find refuge in Christ. So he's misquoting it. He's saying it verbatim, but he's misquoting it. Would you be able to pick that out? Would you be able to rebuttal, as as Jesus says, with the correct verse, you shall not tempt the Lord your God? Jesus answered Satan's misuse of Scripture with the proper use of the Bible, quoting Deuteronomy 6.16 here. As Jesus rejects Satan's twisting of Scripture, he rightly divides the word of truth, understanding it in its context. Jesus isn't quoting this because he's saying that Satan shouldn't be tempting him but that Jesus shouldn't be tempting the Father. It wasn't Jesus' right to test the Father in this way for some wondrous miracle and sign that had nothing to do with anything. It would just be succumbing to what Satan wants him to do. Are you going to follow Satan, or are you going to follow the Father? We also see that these words in Deuteronomy 6 that Jesus quotes, in verse 16, the whole verse says, "'You shall not tempt the Lord your God,' As you tempted him in Massa. Again, there's another reference to the children of Israel as they're wandering in the wilderness. And what happened in Massa, we find that account in Exodus 17, which I don't have time to go through, but I'll read you verse 7 of Exodus 17. It says So he called the name of the place Massa in Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? That's the dumbest question I've ever heard, right? Here's Israel, who was brought out of captivity, out of slavery, right? Where God showed 10 different amazing plagues, and he protected Israel in in the entirety of that, right? He revealed himself over and over again. He brought them out of captivity. They walked through the sea, right? He brought water forth from a rock. He provided manna. He provided quail. He's even traveling with them by a cloud by, by day and a fire by night, and they're like, is God really with us? Because we're, we're hungry. It's been a couple hours. Does it? But here they are, tempting God and not fully trusting God. Again, God revealed himself over and over and over again. And he does that to us. You and I are not to tempt him. He goes on to say, and we'll close with this verse. It says, Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, remember, it wasn't just these three temptations. It was multiple temptations through the 40, the 40 days. But it was at Jesus' weakest and his most vital state as a human being, his, his physical needs and his everything was just weak, tired, and broken, and Satan comes. But Jesus shows us that we can have victory even, even in those moments. Right? Satan's going to attack you. Listen, Satan's going to attack you when you're weak. Now, bear in mind, you're always weak. But, Satan will attack you when you're weak, when Satan will attack you when you've just got an argument with your wife, and he will tempt you. Satan will tempt you when you've just worked a 70-hour week and you're just you're flat out tired, and it's just easy to take the shortcut, right? Satan will tempt you in in your weakest state. But what's great that the Bible tells us that in our weakness, his strength is perfected. That Jesus has given us the example that when we're weak, he is strong. That we don't rely on our own power, even when we feel like we're not weak because it's only through Christ that we're able, able to overcome these temptations. So the devil had ended, now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Satan goes away, but Satan's plan is what? To come back, right? Satan doesn't give up. Satan is relentless. And we have to be ready. We can't be ignorant. We have to be prepared. And he's going to come back at an opportune time. Does that mean at a time when Jesus, when it's the best for Jesus? No right? Is Satan going to come back? Is he going to tempt you, you know, when it's best for you? No, it's going to be at your worst point, when you're least expecting it, when you're least wanting it, at your weakest point, when you're tired, when you're hungry, when you're broken, when you feel like you're alone, he will tempt you. But it's good to know that Jesus can relate to us, that we have a high priest that can relate to us, that he went through every temptation, that there is no temptation that is not common to man. He's going to come back. Be prepared. You'll be tempted right when you leave today. You'll be tempted right when you get home. But there's, five, there's four things. There's four things I want to look at, and we'll close. Four things, four strategies that Jesus gives us to overcome temptation as we, read, as we read through these scriptures. The first one was be alone with God. Time alone with God does not prevent temptation, but it will strengthen us to overcome it. It's so the first one, be alone with God. The second one, be prepared to be tempted, even if it's after a victory. Jesus was just baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that led him out. Be prepared. Be filled. The third thing is be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Remember, Jesus didn't use anything that we don't have. He fought as a man. He battled as a man. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and if you are born again, you are filled with the Holy Spirit and he fought with the Word of God, and everyone in, the, in this room has the Word of God with them. But are you rightly dividing the Word of God? Do you know the Word of God? And almost more importantly than knowing the Word of God is obeying the Word of God. The last thing, the fourth strategy that Jesus gave to us to overcome temptation is that, be armed with truth, the Word of God. Each time Satan attacked Jesus, attacked him, Jesus answered with, it is written. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word that you have given us. Lord, I thank you for this word that is living, that is active, that is sharper than a two-edged sword, that you've given us something to battle with. You don't leave us unprepared, but you give us everything we need to live a life of godliness, to follow your will, to walk in faith, to walk in the Spirit. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who is struggling with an ongoing temptation that you would provide freedom, that they would fully surrender and rely upon you, that they would know your truth, and that the deceptions and the lies of Satan lead to death and only a momentary glimpse of life and pleasure. Lord, give us that strength and that faith. our weakest point of life and weakest point of days, Lord, I pray that you would be near, that we would draw near to you. Again, Lord, give us the wisdom and the understanding of your word. We don't need a PhD or anything, as long as we have your Holy Spirit and your word. I thank you for that. Lord, I pray for anyone in here who's feeling tired and weary, Lord, that you would refresh them. What if somebody needs prayer put upon their heart to to find somebody to pray with? Lord, I just thank you for how good you are. I thank you that you've won that victory in the desert, Jesus. That you've given us life. That you became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. I thank you for that. We love you and we thank you for today. Be with us as we go forward. In Jesus' name, amen.